Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. We, we got a really good God is good message. Like, that's what we believe, right? Well, isn't it amazing that all of us together, we're partnering together, and we're actually showing the world that God's good as well? We're, we, we believe God is good, and that's our message, and we're demonstrating that God is good in a, in a significant way in the community. That, that's, that's awesome to me. That, you know what? You're, you're, our words and our deeds match up. And people are being blessed and the testimony of Jesus and the goodness of God and his love are going forth out of this group of people. And it's just amazing. It's really good stuff. Well, today, we are going to carry on for the, the, the sermon series that we started, Home for Christmas. And uh, this is going to be, I got to say, it's probably going to be part two of what we started last week, which is uh, uh, last week we addressed what, what I called the, the lie of separation, and that was this, the, the idea that, um, you know, God is up there or over there somewhere and we're down here or over here. Somehow there's a distance between us. There's a gap between us and God. That's, that's a lie. That's not true. And, the, and Christmas and, and the message that we're talking about over Christmas, home for Christmas, and the message of how God himself, God who created all things and made all things, uh, the same God who by whom, for whom, and through whom everything was made, that same God who holds all things together, that same person who the word of his power keeps everything in existence, that God became a human being. And he came and walked amongst us. He became one of us. And at Christmas time, in particular, we celebrate the fact that God himself has joined himself to humanity. And there's no distance, no separation between us whatsoever. That's good news. And as Pastor Carl read out of Luke chapter 2 there, that's good news for the whole world. That's good news for all of humanity. God himself has made his home amongst us. He's come to us. And at Christmas time, we celebrate in a very special way that eternal word became human, came down to our level, met us where we are, communicated with us, loved us, blessed us, redeemed us, all as a human being. He, he drew close to us in the sense that he actually became one of us. I mean, you cannot get any closer than that. That's amazing. So John chapter 1, verse 14, the word, the eternal word of God, the God who existed forever and spoke the whole creation into being, that word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. God came home for Christmas and surprise, surprise, his home was here amongst us. And it always will be. I mean, if you read the end of the book in Revelation, you'll see that the ultimate destiny of everything is God himself comes to earth. We're not all taken off and hiding in heaven forever. God's going to make his home permanently with us, and he already has inside of us. That's really good news. That's an amazing message of hope for the whole world. God became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And guess what? For real, when you see the glory of God, it's fully and truthfully, he's full of grace. When you see the glory of God, the God who came down and made himself known, entered into our world and showed himself as one of us. When, when they saw him, when they interacted with him, do you know what they saw? They some, saw somebody who was truthfully full of grace. God is gracious. God is good. He loves us, and he's decided to be with us forever. He's decided to be a human forever. Did you know God decided that he would not be God any longer apart from taking humanity into himself? 
Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is seated at the right hand of the Father right now as a human being. How amazing is that? Like, think about the nobility and the dignity that we have as children of God. God took humanity and brought it up to the very throne of God itself. And we are seated inside of Christ Jesus right there, ruling and reigning with him. That's good news. That's full of hope. That's just an amazing message and an amazing truth and reality that we can all live out of. Now, I want to ask you this question just to start, just to kind of get the creative juices flowing a little bit. We're talking about home for Christmas, so I was thinking about homes. I was thinking about uh, what, what goes on in a home, and my question is this. Have you ever had a time where you have had to make an adjustment in your house? Maybe, uh, maybe I don't know, maybe, maybe you had a child. Maybe a child moved out. Maybe you, maybe you got a dog, which is probably pretty similar. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You got a new dog. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just hosting an event. I mean, there's some things that happen to you in your home, right? Where you, you got to adjust. Something happens. Something shifts in your house, in your own personal space, and it requires a change and an adjustment, even just for a day, maybe permanently, maybe temporarily. But sometimes things hit us right at home, and it requires an adjustment on our part. It shakes things up a little bit. So I want to think about that today, but I also want to think about this idea of a sign. Remember last week we talked about Isaiah 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign, he said. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the story goes, there was a king, Ahaz, and God was speaking to Ahaz, and God was like, you know what, I want you to ask me for a sign. I want, ask me for anything. Ask me for a sign in order to help you to believe that what I'm telling you is true, it's going to come to pass. And King Ahaz is like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to test the Lord. And, and the Lord says, fine then, I'll give you my own. Here it is, ready? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin birth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming of God to earth was a sign. It was a sign. Now, what do signs do? Think of a road sign. Think of a stop sign. A sign tells you something, right? You're driving along, you see the stop sign, it says stop right across it, stop. But it's also encouraging you, hey, get ready. There's a reality that you have to adjust to. And if you fail to adjust to that reality, you know what? You might actually get hit, or you might hit somebody. There's an intersection or a throughway coming up. So a sign, it tells you something, but it also makes you aware of the fact that there's a new reality that you have to adjust to. And what I want to suggest to us today is that God himself came down from heaven. He manifested himself as a human being. We saw, we beheld his glory. He became one of us, walked amongst us, made his home with us, and made his home inside of us. And that is a sign to humanity. And what the giant sign says is there is no separation between God and man. And the reality that it's asking us to do is to make some adjustments. This sign is telling us, you know what, in light of the fact that God became one of us, moved into our home, we got to adjust a little bit, uh, probably in ways that are significantly more important than if you do if you got a new dog or something like that, right? Jesus himself, God himself has moved into our home. He's moved into us, and there's some adjustments required. And I want to suggest that the only, the only adjustment that God is really after from us is one called repentance. He, he asks us to repent. But, but let's, be, let's be biblical about that. When we're being biblical, you know what it means to repent? It means to, to metaneo in the Greek. It means to change your mind. Make adjustments in the way you think. In light of the fact that God himself has come down, made his home amongst us, become one of us, there's some adjustments that we need to make in the way that we think. We need to think differently. 
We need to change the way that we see ourselves. There's a bunch of things that we need to do to think differently about. But listen to this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was his message. This is amazing. He's like, you know what, guys? In light of the fact that I'm here, here I am. I, I embody the kingdom. I am the king of the kingdom. I embody its rules, its values. I am the king. Basically, the kingdom is in the Holy Ghost. So here's Jesus saying, here I am, guys. Right here in me, the kingdom of heaven has come close. Think differently now. In light of the fact that God has come, that's why I like that song we were singing where it says, you know, Emmanuel has come. God has come. We're not in a paradigm anymore where we're trying to say, God, get here, you know, and trying to figure out all these ways to overcome the distance so that we can have an experience. I mean, we all experienced Holy Spirit this morning. I don't know if you felt like, like Chantel said, I heard that from Pastor Carl, the presence of God is thick in this place. We didn't do anything to work that up. We just welcome the fact that he's here because he loves us. We just embraced his goodness and we realized the fact and together something happened out of all of our innermost beings. Wow, something corporate happened. But we didn't pump up the presence of God. It wasn't the music or anything like that. That helped us. But God is here. He's here, and, he, and, and he's close to us all the time. And, and you can experience the presence of God in your own life all the time. I mean, in your own prayer closet, whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you. Right, God, in your everyday life, at your work, you know, at home, everywhere, the presence of God is a reality to us thanks to Jesus Christ. Now, in light of that fact, because of that, let's think differently. In light of the fact that God is here, He's moved in. Let's change the way we think, which is basically what Jesus said. So I tried to come up with an acronym, you know, one of those like uh, words that you take the first letter and then you kind of fill in the blank. And, but anyways, I, I tried to do that. I showed Madeline during the week and she was like, yeah, that's horrible. That's, <laughs> she's like, that's not an acronym at all. So uh, I, I sat there trying to save face for about 20 minutes and, uh, and I was like, it's an acrostic. So I looked up acrostic, and sure enough, I, it turns out I wrote a little poem, so I want to share it with you. Humanity. See how I did this? Human. Jesus became a human. In light of the fact that he's a human, we need to think differently. We need to think differently. He, humanity, he understands us. He meets us where we are. He assumes us, and he makes all things new. Now, hopefully that'll make sense as we, as we move through today. But in light of the fact that God has made his home amongst us, in light of the fact that he's not up there, we're down here, and we're you know, trying real hard together to put our brains together to try and find a way to get God to manifest himself to us or to just to get closer in any way, in light of the fact that that's all nonsense and he's here and he's come, we're going to think differently. And the first thing I think we need to think differently about is humanity itself. We can think differently about ourselves and our own humanity, and we can think differently about, you know, everybody in here and everybody out there. I, I, again, Pastor Carl in Luke chapter 2, what he read there, the, the angels were saying, you know, peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. Towards all men, not the ones I like, but all men. Peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. Now, the amazing thing about Jesus becoming a human, and that's what I've titled this. I ripped it off from Karl Barth, if you want to know. But I've called this sermon The Humanity of God because it's just amazing that he actually became a human, joined himself to us forever. I mean, I, I've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks, and it just blows me away every time. There's a human being on the throne. Amazing. So Jesus, he didn't just come in the appearance of a man. He didn't just show up and look like one of us, but he actually came and he took us on. I mean, he became a human being in the full extent of the word. Like he became everything that we are and everything that we experience. He, he took this on. 
Now, the amazing thing about this is Jesus, the Bible refers to him as the firstborn over all creation. He became, like Adam, the head of a human race. So Adam is a type for Jesus. And the way that they're types is Adam was like, Adam was the man. He, he made decisions that affected everybody. Jesus Christ also became the head of the human race. And the decisions that he made and the things that he did affected everybody, just like what Adam did affected everybody. You can read about that in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But it's absolutely amazing when you look at it. So Jesus became like Adam, but did something even bigger. He became the federal head of the new humanity. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation. So in other words, Adam, Adam made an offense, and what happened to Adam happened to everybody that was in Adam. So I might not have sinned the same way that Adam did. I didn't eat a forbidden fruit, but somehow that sin still got passed on to me because Adam was the head of the race, and everything came in through him. Does that make sense? We all understand that? So here's the thing. Even so, the Bible said, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification in, uh, in life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, Adam messed it up and everybody became sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Isn't that amazing? Forever God became a human, and as the representative of all humanity, we sit with him on his throne, and we share his relationship with the Father. Isn't that amazing? Just think about that. Jesus came, uh, I think it's John chapter 5, and he said, nobody knows the Father but the Son, and those whom the Father or the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus Christ knows the Father perfectly. Nobody knows him, but he gives us his share of relationship with the Father. We have the very relationship with God that Jesus has. How's that? Everything that God has and he's put in Jesus, we have. And everything that Jesus has in relation to the Father, so do we, because we're in him. That's mind-blowing. That's so good. He was a type of Adam. What he did, he did for everybody in the same way that what Adam did affected everybody. But here's the thing. We have to see it. We got to believe it. We got to agree with it. We got to receive it. But our failure to do so doesn't make it not true. It just means we're not experiencing it. Therefore, we have to, in light of this fact, in light of the fact that what God did, he did for everybody, we got to see each other differently. We got to see the whole human race differently. We got to see one another, no longer in terms of insiders and outsiders, but imagine you saw everybody through the lens of what Jesus has already done and accomplished for them. How's that for evangelism, right? The message no longer becomes, hey, you, you know, you poor alienated soul, let me tell you what you can do to be like me and cross the bridge to come to God. The message is God crossed the bridge and he came to you. How's that? That's amazing. So here's a quote from Karl Barth uh, out of the book that I ripped off for the, the title, The Humanity of God. He says, on the basis of the eternal will of God, we have to think of every human being. Now, praise the Lord. He says, even the oddest most villainous or miserable as one to whom Jesus Christ is brother and God is father. We have to deal with them on this assumption. Wow, we get, we get, imagine treating people as if they've already accepted the reality of Jesus Christ. Wow. If the other person knows that already, then we have to strengthen them in that knowledge. And if he doesn't know it yet or no longer knows it, it's our business to transmit this knowledge to them. 
So as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called children of God. We got to receive him. But how do you receive him? You believe in his name. That's it. He's done the heavy lifting. He's done everything. He closed the gap. He closed the distance. It's all gone. It's all a lie. So we got to think differently about humanity, not put ourselves into groups. See, Adam, the, the Adamic race, if I can say it that way, of humanity is broken and twisted and divided. It's sectarian. It's polarized. The, the, the natural humanity in Adam organizes itself into camps and groups. But what happens under the new head of humanity, Jesus Christ? There's now no Jew or Gentile, male or slave, you know, barbarian, Scythian, whatever all together in one in Christ Jesus. That's good news for the world right now, don't you think? That's a Christmas message. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming a human being. Thank you for assuming all of humanity into yourself. Number two, the you, the H-U. He understands us. He understands us. We got to think a little bit differently about life. Sometimes life can be very problematic. And I hope this doesn't come across as too harsh, but sometimes we got we to gotta ditch a, a helpless uh, mindset. Or thought process. Sometimes we just got to see our situations a little bit different. And by that, I mean this. Have you ever found yourself in a scenario where uh, you just feel so misunderstood? You feel underappreciated. You feel like, you know, nobody gets me. Uh, life would be better if this person just understood where I was coming from. I mean, I, th I think we've all probably had that experience from time to time, right? I mean, if you don't check yourself, that can be a really negative way to, to live. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ understands us. If nobody else does, he does. And he does because he's been there and done that as a human being. So Hebrews 2 verse 18 says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So when I experience difficulty in my life, here, here's a way to think a little bit differently in light of the fact that Jesus Christ became a human being. He's been there and done it. He got the t-shirt. And he did it successfully. Anything I've ever done, anything I've ever gone through, any, any experience I've ever had, he did too. The Bible said he was in every way tempted like I was, but you know what? He did it right. Sometimes, most of the time, I'm going to say, I don't do it right. But he did. So he gets us. He understands what we're going through. That's why he can be an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Because he became one of us. He stepped into our world and experienced life at our level and our plane. It's not like he's just like, yeah, good for you. You know, I, I'm going to give you my help, but I don't really get it. No, he gets it. He gets you. He understands you when no one else does. He gets it. Which is great. So you know how this translates for me, just personally, this is how I deal with my life. If I'm going through something and I feel like it's a little bit tough or tricky, and I'm struggling to work my way through it, I, I remember this. I remember Jesus Christ became, he, he actually lived and had this experience like me. So remember it says, and I think it's in John where Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to take of what's mine and make it known to you. So I embrace my difficulty. I embrace my tough circumstance and situation like this. Jesus Christ, you've been through this before. You've done this before. I need the Holy Spirit to take the same conquering, you know, life-giving spirit and attitude and victory that you manifested in your heart when you went through this, the same strength and trust and confidence in God that you manifested when you went through this difficulty, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take that out of the soul of Jesus and manifest it in me and my soul. And wow, things change, because the Holy Spirit takes of what's his and makes it real to me. And he went through it. His life is a tried and a tested and a proven life. 
there's a power inside of me that's already overcome. He's already overcome the world. He's already overcome all of these challenges and difficulties. So now I've got the life of Christ on the inside of me and I can trust him and I can trust the power of God in me. I can trust his life in me because he's been there, done that, and overcame the world. And now all of a sudden I'm overcoming the world too. Not because I'm awesome or because I'm able to, you know, stir up some awesome response in myself, but this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. My faith that the Son of God overcame this on my behalf and now imparts to me his very soul, his very life, the energies of his own being into my life, which is more than enough to meet every challenge because he's already been there and done it. How's that for good news? That's a different way to do life. And that's all because Jesus became a human being. Wow. He's been there. He's done it. Point number three, the M. He meets us where we are. I'm not going to belabor this because I kind of did last week, but there's just a couple things I want you to see. Psalms 130 to 39, verse 7 to 12. This is David. This is under the old covenant, but, but listen to this. He says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. Now, this is an odd one. If I make my bed in hell, sure, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the light or the, the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. How's that? that that's amazing. That's God saying, you know what? It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter your highest heights or your lowest lows. He's there. The fact that he became a human being says this, God's there, but he's not there for you in an emotional kind of spiritual sense, like pat on the back, like, you know, I'm there, I'm, I'm giving you emotional support. The incarnation, the fact of the matter that God himself entered into even our worst moments, our highest heights and our lowest lows, Ephesians 4 says, what does it mean that he ascended, but that he first descended? Jesus fills everything. He took on our body. He went to the lowest lows of human existence and experience and absorbed it all into his own being. He knows what you've gone through. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. He fills all in all. And the incarnation says, I'm not just there for you and like, that a boy, I'm here to support you kind of way. He's actually here. He actually got in the trenches of life and did it with us and now gives us of his own strength, life, and power. I think that's pretty cool. When he says, I'm there with you and I'm there for you, he literally means it. He's literally there. He is an ever-present help in the time of trouble and the incarnation is a sign to that reality. And imagine adjusting your life and your heart in every scenario in life where you're able to see God is here with me. He's not far away. I might be going through something bad. I might be making my bed in hell, whatever that looks like for you. But he's here. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news we're going to share with people on Christmas Day. That's good news we're going to share over the next couple of weeks with the community. You know, Jesus is with you. He's already with you. He's not with you when you come to church. But he's everywhere. And we're going to go out and we're going to help people and we're going to manifest the goodness of God. And you know what people are going to discover? That God was there all along. God was already there. We're partnering with Jesus, the already present help in their time of trouble. We're just going to partner with him and what he's doing. It's good news. Now, number four, he assumes us. Now, this is a, a weird word. It's kind of a technical theological word, an old English word, perhaps. But I got this from Gregory Nancy Anson. He was one of the, if you're interested in church history, is one of the Cappadocian fathers. I think he was kicking around 300 or something like that. But he said this. He said the unassumed is the unredeemed. 
And in this case, what assumed means, it means to adopt, to take on to yourself, to take up upon yourself, to bring into yourself. So here's the idea. Gregory Nancy Anson is saying, you know, there's nothing outside of the person of Jesus that's redeemed, but anything and everything that he took upon himself is redeemed. Now, Jesus Christ is our redemption. We have no life, we have no power, we have no salvation outside of and apart from him. Here's the thing, though. We're not saved from any good work that we've done, and we're not even saved because I was able to muster up perfect, you know, undoubting faith. We're saved because Jesus assumed us. Because We're saved because Jesus absorbed us into his own being. He became us. He was bearing us, carrying us, and bringing us all into union with him. In the incarnation, Jesus Christ took up all of my humanity. He took up all of us. There's nothing that he didn't take up that's, that's redeemed. So he, when I say that I'm redeemed, I mean, that, I mean to say that all of me is redeemed because he took on all of me. He didn't just take up some uh, nice part of me. He didn't just take up my spirit. He took up the totality of my humanity. He took, he took flesh. The word became flesh. He took a soul. Jesus took my, and the human ability to make decisions, to think, and to will, and to act, and to feel, and to go through stuff, and to relate to people. Jesus took all of that, and he assumed it all, and he brought it into himself when he became a human in every way, just like us. So Galatians chapter 4, 4 to 5 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So Jesus was a man just like us, totally capable of sinning. He had human dispositions exactly like we do. He had temptations that he went through the same way that you and I do. That's why he can help us. But look at this. Jesus Christ, his life matters just as much as his death and his resurrection. When Jesus assumed us and he took us on, what he did, literally one decision after the next, one moment of trust in the Father after the next, he took our wayward human will and our wayward humanity and he brought it back into alignment with Jesus back into alignment with the Father. He took humanity into himself, and he basically remolded it and reshaped it into a, uh, into a humanity that was able to say, Father, not my will be done, but yours. How that gets practical for me, when I find a situation where I'm like, God, I don't like your will. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> That's tricky. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how to, I don't know how to manifest some sort of you know, uh, godliness in this scenario or something like that. I remember the fact that Jesus Christ took on my humanity. And in that moment, I think when he said, Father, not my will be done, but yours in the garden right at the beginning of his passions, I think in that moment, he's bending the will of humanity back in alignment with the will of God. And that's why I can confidently say that he's at work in me to will and to do his good pleasure. Because he took my humanity and he made a decision constantly, daily. He was without sin. 33 and a half years this guy lived on earth without sinning once, without doubting his father one time. And now that's the tried and the tested and the proven life that's now at work inside of me. And that's the confidence I have for making good godly life decisions. That's the confidence I have that I too can live righteously and holy and manifest it, not just possess it, because I've seen it in operation before in the person of Jesus Christ, who's now filled me with his Holy Spirit and the same life he has, I have, because he assumed all of me. This also means that all of my humanity is blessed. I don't know if you've heard this before, the idea that, you know, your spirit is perfect, your soul's dirty, and your body's almost completely irredeemable. We're going to have to kill it in order to fix that. 
I, you know, that, that's, a, that's a belief out there. But here you go. You have been sanctified completely. You have been made holy by God in every way. Already by the offering, get this, of the body of Jesus Christ. You can read about that in Hebrews. But God himself says, he looks at you and he says, spirit, soul, and body, you're blessed. Spirit, soul, and body, you've been redeemed. Yeah, this is a corruptible body. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to take on a body like his. But there's nothing wrong with this body. There's nothing inherently evil with it. It's, it's the religion and this lie of separation that says these spiritual activities are good and these fleshly ones are bad. That's a lie. All of me has been blessed. So if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24 from a different lens, you'll see that God has already sanctified me, spirit, soul, and body, and he's preserved me blameless. That means my body is holy. It's a temple of the Lord. I'm not in, at a war with myself. I'm not in a war with my, my soul. There's some dirty things sometimes, some nasty, sinful, angry thoughts or something like that that might come through my mind. That doesn't make me unholy. That means I need to deal with the thoughts. I need to start thinking about those things that are good and noble and pure and praiseworthy. But it doesn't make me less holy. Uh, the way Pastor Carl described this to me is think about a cup. You know, the cup could be perfectly clean, a perfectly legit cup, but you can put some dirty water in it. You put some dirty water in it, it's the water that's dirty, not the cup. We've been cleaned. We've been sanctified, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ has redeemed me, spirit, soul, and body. That means I can walk in a picture of perfect health, body, spirit, and soul in every way. He's redeemed every aspect of my life. Praise God. That means I have an expectation in my life, in my body, in my soul life. There's nothing in my soul, in my mind, will, and emotions that, that needs to stay in a permanent state of warfare against the purpose and plans of God. He's redeemed me. He's transformed me. He's at work in my will to will to do his good pleasure because he took on a human will and bent it back into alignment with God. And that same will is now working in me to will and to do his good pleasure. So, I mean, this is some immensely practical stuff. The fact that Jesus Christ became a human, that's just not good theology. This is life-changing when you get it. This will change the way you live your life. This will change your experience of God on a daily basis, not because you've, you know, earned or attained something, because you're like, wow, if that's true of him, that's true of me, and that's true right now. And that's good news. So finally, because of all of this stuff, Jesus Christ makes all things new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. So he's in, we're a new creation. Anybody's in Christ, you're a new creation. You know that the, something had to happen to your heart in order to be able to receive the Spirit of God. This might be a little bit of a mind-bender, but it says in Ezekiel, doesn't it? It says, I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh. I'm going to take that cold, stony, unresponsive heart of, God, of humanity. I'm going to take it out of you, and I'm going to give you a new heart. Then I'll put my spirit inside of you. Isn't that amazing? God's already done something to us that makes it possible for us to receive the spirit of God. He's already done Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Something happens to you and repentance comes to you as a gift and the power and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit comes over you. Something inwardly happens to you that makes you new and capable and able of responding to God in the first place. That's amazing. That's not something I got to try and get God to do in response to whatever faith I'm able to muster up. That's something I just need to say, wow, I'm looking at Jesus and seeing that that happened to me already. And all of a sudden I can see the kingdom of God. 
all of a sudden the scales fall off the eyes and I'm like, wow, I see this now. I see things in a totally different way because Jesus Christ himself is my new birth. Jesus Christ himself is my life. I think that's absolutely amazing. All things have become new. Now all things are of God. I don't, don't have time to get into this, but here's, the, here's one more amazing thing. This is kind of a, a pet theological project of mine and living out in the country, I really appreciate this more and more, but um, there's a link between humanity and the creation. You know, God made the world and he made Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then you look throughout the Old Testament, there's this relationship between what's going on in the human race and what's happening to the land. There's a few places where the Bible even says the land is going to spit you out because it's going to have a negative reaction to the, the manifestation of your collective humanity in the earth right now. Well, do you know what? When the new, the new Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, shows up on the scene, when he came in that resurrected form, he restored that relationship between creation and humanity. The body of Jesus Christ is the basis and the status of a whole new creation, a whole new cosmos. So when he says all things are new, all things are new. He's made all things new. Now what's waiting to happen is that the creation itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God who are walking in the reality and the full, wow, this is who God made me to be. And we're walking around not, not with an expectation of destruction and doom and gloom and escape for the world, but we're walking around because he makes all things new, because he took on a body and made it new. I have an expectation in the world I live in for renewal and restoration. Because he made all things new. He took on a body and redeemed a body. He redeemed materiality. He redeemed the cosmos itself in his body. How's that? That's amazing. That's not a, I'm waiting for a future event where God is going to come and somehow re-die on the cross so that all the curse can go. That's an awakening to the reality of the fact that God has dealt with curse once and for all. Now all things are new. My humanity is new and the world I live in can be new. What's waiting to happen is for us to grasp it us to realize it and begin to walk in the freedom of it. And we're going to start seeing things in the earth itself change. We're going to see cities change, architecture change. We're going to see nature itself change because we are awakened to the reality of the fact that we've been made sons and daughters of God. We're walking in the freedom of it. We've embraced the newness of it. We've seen in Jesus Christ what the perfect human looks like. We've seen in him what humanity looks like. We're not bogged down any longer looking at things and like, oh my goodness, we're awful. And the world down here is terrible. It's all going, beep, all that kind of stuff, right? No, we're going to start speaking words of hope. We're going to start seeing that, you know what? God has already done what God needs to do. And he is waiting, being retained in heaven until the restoration of all things. That period of time spoken of through the mouth of the prophets, and now it needs to be on our mouths again. He makes all things new, and now all things are of God. And that's an amazing Christmas message for a world right now that's kind of thinking, where's this all going? I can tell you where it's going. Going somewhere good. It's going somewhere good because there's an awakening body of believers who are able to frame the world with the word of God just like he did. Are able to speak the word and put it back into right order. Because by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. And we're going to do the same thing in these days as well. Prophetic body of people walking around saying it's new and it's blessed on the basis of the incarnation, the life, death, resurrection, glorification of Jesus Christ because he's a man. This created order is blessed. So here it is. This is my little summary here. Because of the sign that the incarnation was and the new reality that it pointed to, we need to adjust our thinking. 
We need to see humanity for what it now is in Christ Jesus, understood and accepted by him. We need to see that he's not far from us at all. What does it say in Romans 10? Does it say the word of faith, it's near you? It's not far, it's near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. You just got to believe it, you just got to speak it and say it. But the word of faith that we preach is not far. It's not far at all, it's in you. Because he raised us up with him. We need to see he's not far. Illusions and distance are lies. We need to see that he has assumed us, taken us into himself in his incarnation, and as such, we have been made new with him. That's some really good news. Now, because of that, because he became one of us, because he's made his home in us and with us, I want to end with this quote by T.F. Torrance. And this is the biggest adjustment that I think all of humanity needs to make. We need to see this. We need to see that Jesus Christ has believed for you. He has fulfilled our human response to God. Isn't that amazing? That is, the big, that is the big takeaway of Christmas. Jesus Christ became a human being so that he could live perfectly in our behalf, respond to God the Father in every way that was required for our salvation and redemption. Jesus Christ fulfilled our human response to God. He even made our personal decision for us. He acknowledges us before God as one who's already responded to God in him, who's already believed in God through him, and whose personal decision is already implicated in Christ's self-offering to the Father, all of which have been fully and completely accepted by him. Therefore, in light of this fact, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, the man, the human, made the perfect response to God the Father on our behalf, what's left for us to do is this, to renounce ourselves, in that respect, just to say no to the religion, to say no to every human attempt to try and make ourselves right with God, to just throw all that stuff in the garbage, to leave it alone, to drop it and never pick it up again, and just say, Father, I'm here on the basis and the merits of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the perfectly righteous one. He's the perfect believer. Jesus Christ knows you. He believed you perfectly on my behalf. He knows you perfectly. He obeyed you perfectly. And my faith is that I can acknowledge that. And I can say that Jesus did that on my behalf. That's the saving faith. I need to take up my cross. Do you know what that is? My cross was his cross. Because I've been crucified with him. And I no longer live. Taking up my cross is not a daily call to, to live in self-abasement and to try and hurt myself in the name of God. Taking up my cross is to realize I died on the cross with him. Now it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. And I just follow Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. That's it. Come follow me. That's it. Just come follow me. Just come follow me. Follow me. That's it. And oh, I've done everything on your behalf. I believe the Father. I obeyed him perfectly. That's what Jesus says. He says that to me over and over and over again. I know the Father for you, and I can share him with you. I can make him known to you in ways that you could never pump up yourself. I can bring the revelation of God the Father to your heart in a way that you can't, you can't even dream. I love that. I love that about Jesus. He's the one who knows God, believes God, obeyed him perfectly on my behalf, fulfilled every human obligation on my behalf. And that's the good news we have at Christmas. It's good news for all men. Amen?